Bendis' Big Podcast. It's Build a Big Podcast, the marketing podcast for podcasters. I'm David Hooper. Bigpodcast.com is the site. If you like this one, there's more there. Go there, subscribe. Make sure you don't miss an episode. I've also got some episode templates, other things to help you grow your audience, have more impact with your podcast, make more money with your podcast. That's at bigpodcast.com. For the last few months, I've been working on a project that has had me embedded with people working on various things and also making choices that have had what many people would consider to be pretty intense outcomes. Dead bodies, drug abuse, gun violence, eviction, homelessness, some of the toughest stuff that you can go through in life. And even though I've done hundreds of interviews over the years, many of them talking about these very topics, I haven't talked about them like this, the intensity of me being in people's homes instead of having guests come to my studio. Like I said, I'm embedded, man. I'm going deep with this project. Plus, I haven't really done in-person interviews for over a year and not having that and also hearing these stories and also having the risk of getting COVID by being close to people. That's been pretty intense. I think it's made me especially sensitive to things. And there have been a couple of times and I'm not a crier, but I've broken down in front of people that I've been interviewing. When I'm hearing these stories, I'm like, oh my God, this is, it was crazy, man. And I've got it on tape and I don't think that tape will ever, ever be released. <laughs> but I did want to bring it up here because I think connecting to people in an empathetic way, I talked about this in my last book. I think it is a way for you to have a conversation, get an interview with somebody that can really be authentic and true. Not just the type of interview that a lot of people have where maybe you've got a guest and he's putting on a facade and then I did this and then I did this and then I made a million dollars and then I got married to a hot wife. Then I had five great kids and they're going through that story, you know, that they've told 50,000 times. Showing empathy can bring people in and have them connect with you in a really great way. And you know those really great conversations that you've had. It feels real and you feel connected. That's what I'm always trying to do in my interviews. I'm not saying that this is a technique. A couple instances of this where I just broke down. <laughs> I don't know that that's necessarily a good look, but I think that's one of the things that we should work on as hosts is to try to be more compassionate, try to be present with somebody, actually listen to them, stay with them, give that story the attention it deserves, rather than thinking, I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go here, then I'm going to wrap it up here, take a break, come out of that break, and then go here. Here's the thing, though. We also have a job to do. And I think we need to ask ourselves, how does getting emotionally involved with a story affect the story itself? And is it helpful? Brandon Hall is a podcaster here in Nashville. He is also a 911 dispatcher. He hosts and produces a podcast called Music City 911, which is essentially a true crime podcast. I field 911 calls. I do non-emergency calls as well. And I also dispatch via the radio, police, fire, and EMS units. Pretty much anything involving emergency telecommunications I'm involved with. He is around this stuff a lot. People calling in who really need help, really need help. Sometimes, sometimes people call 911 just for the hell of it. And I'll get into that in just a second. Brandon's situation taking 911 calls is a lot like any podcaster. 
Sometimes there's something really important that we need to respond to, and other times, not so much. How many times have you gotten into an interview situation where the person you're interviewing is way off in left field and keeps going farther and farther and farther and farther out there? That can happen a lot. And that's one of the skills that we develop as hosts. We've got that vision for the episode, bringing them into that to where that episode can be completed in the way that it needs to be completed. Your guest only has a limited amount of time. You don't want to go too deep in the woods most of the time. Think about Brandon's situation with 911 calls. He only has a limited amount of time where somebody can get out to the situation and be helpful. So he's got to get that information very quickly from people. They're not necessarily in a good place. They're freaking out. They're scared. Who knows? They've got to get him the information. He's got to draw that information out of them. So that's a huge parallel, but that's not the only one. That's one of the reasons that I wanted to bring him on. I asked him about keeping grounded during calls. So Brandon, do you ever cry like a little baby like I did? (laughs) Okay, seriously. I asked him about keeping grounded during calls and what he did about that. Here's what he said. I've been doing this for a long time. I've been up there for 21 years now. I've taken, I mean, no joke. I tried to estimate how many, but it's in the hundreds of thousands of phone calls I've taken. At first, it is a little bit more difficult, but after a while, it's just one of those things you get used to. You've done it so many times with so much repetition with it and taken almost any kind of call that you can think of that you're just used to it. And even when something new is presented, you've got this level of calm to you that you can just do this. And it's, it's just second nature. That's all it is. Comes down to repetition and trusting yourself to handle what's thrown at you. Do you remember the first interview that you ever had? When I started music business radio, which is my broadcast show, I was nervous. And the first people that I brought in as guests were friends and people that I knew well. I think I had probably, I don't know, 10 or 15 of these guys, people I knew. I knew their stories, basically. I was going to bring them in there. I knew they were going to be nice to me. I knew that if I freaked out, they were good talkers and they weren't going to leave me there with dead air because I had done radio before. Dead air, man. You know that's scary. That's super scary. You got a live mic. Your signal's going out to the city. And everybody's there listening to you, or you think they are, and you're dying. Maybe you're not saying anything. Maybe they think the station's off the air. (laughs) Either way, it's not a good situation. So when I started this radio show, I basically had everything scripted. I definitely had the questions planned out and how I thought things would unfold. Start at the beginning, then get to the middle, then get to the end. Today... If I know the story, if I know the basic message, the message that I want to get out, the topic, whatever you want to call it, if I know that there's somebody worth talking to, I can go in and get an okay episode. I don't have to have everything planned out. It may not be a great episode, but I'm not going to die. It's going to be competent. And then with editing, I can usually make it pretty good. How do you get to that level? That comes from repetition, doing it over and over and over again. You need time behind the mic. It can also help to learn from others. I talked to Brandon about that as well. I had several weeks of in-class training, and then we would actually do a shift rotation where you actually sat on each shift with a trainer next to you, taking phone calls a month per shift. For ours, we have a lengthy training process that lasts. Now it's close to, say, with the in-class stuff plus the rotations we have to go through, it's close to a year before you're actually released on your own. So there's a lot of things that go over with the different systems we have there at work, and then also how to deal with certain callers. And that happens a lot on the 
the actual on the floor training when we have a trainer sitting next to us. And I actually was a trainer for about 10 years as well. This is the difference between what Brandon is doing compared to what we are doing. He started in a class and then he worked his way up to talking to people. Most podcasters do some version of that. We don't have an official class, but it's pretty common to find podcasters who have learned podcasting by watching YouTube videos or reading books, getting on forums, asking questions. Even if you don't do this, you have learned podcasting by listening to other podcasts and radio. And that starts at a very young age. I've told the story on here before about being a kid with more or less a glorified baby monitor. We called it an intercom system. I don't know that baby monitors existed when I was a kid. But back in the 70s, what they would do, they'd have ranch houses, which is a one-story house. It's got a long footprint. If you're on the east side of the house, you have to walk a few hundred feet to get to the west side of the house, maybe. They would put intercoms in houses. You press a button, it works like a CB. You could say, mom, mom, bring me some Kool-Aid. <laughs> and your mother, maybe on the other side of the house, if she was nice, get you some Kool-Aid, bring it over to you. Or maybe she would press the button and say, get it yourself. I didn't have a ranch house. We didn't have an intercom system in my house. Had no need. If I wanted some Kool-Aid, I was a kid who would get up and get it myself. But being aware of this, I remember being at a yard sale one time and I saw a realistic, the house brand from Radio Shack, realistic intercom system, had two units, same deal, except it was wireless. It worked over FM. You plug in one end, go to the other side of the house where you couldn't get to with just your normal voice, plug in the other one. And what I did is I made a radio station. And as a kid, five, six years old, I'm imitating Dick Clark. American Bandstand, the radio jocks that I heard. I didn't do any real radio till I was 18. I was in college. And that's pretty early. But you think about that, I had 13 years of experience listening to people, playing radio as a kid, and I kind of knew what I needed to do. Fast forward a few years, 30. I'm pretty comfortable in most situations where there's a microphone in front of me, but not all. Sometimes I think people get into the podcasting, they think, well, I've been behind a mic before, I've done it in this situation. I can do it in another situation. That's not always true. For example, one time I was asked to do a play-by-play -play of a celebrity softball game. I had no idea how to do that. Yeah, I could talk on the mic. Hey, everybody, welcome to the softball game. Here we are at Greer Stadium. It's a sunny day, not a lot of wind. Get your peanuts and your popcorn, whatever. I could do an announcement like that. That's similar to radio. But when it came to the play-by-play -play and actually filling time, that's a whole lot different. And you think about you as a podcaster or other brand new podcasters. This is one of the reasons so many podcasters start with interview podcasts. We are used to having conversations. We're more comfortable doing it. Even then, when you hit that record button, that changes everything. And just because you're good on the mic in one way, or you can have a conversation, does not mean that you can do everything. I don't like to do video. I'll find video too distracting. Right now, if you were to look at me, I'm in a five by eight room. I've got a clipboard with some bullet points of some things that I want to talk about. I'm looking at my notes. I'm writing things down when I need to. It's not exactly great video. And what I don't want to do is have to be looking into a camera, worried about somebody watching me while I'm doing this. What I'd rather do is just have you hear me, have that finished product. It's going to be a lot better. You don't need to see me in a t-shirt in the red room, the closet studio that I record out of. 
it's not that exciting. I mean, granted, it looks pretty cool. It's a bunch of sound panels, nice mics, that kind of thing, but doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. This is something related from Brandon that I want you to keep in mind about this. As far as the interview goes versus what I actually do for a job, if you get to where you're comfortable with the slight changes, there's always going to be some sort of a little, I won't say a hiccup, but there's something new. If you just kind of prepare yourself, knowing that that can happen at any time, but you maybe with repetition or maybe you have your own set of questions beforehand, you'll have that kind of area ready to go and maybe have some other questions along with it that will have some sort of a bearing that like if it goes into left field somehow, you've got a question set up for that or you've got a response for it or you know something along that lines. I want to talk about this for a minute. Repetition. I've had guests walk out of interviews. Had a guy, came in my studio. A lot of times the people I interview are coming in on tour, and that was this situation. I actually had to pick him up because he was coming in on a tour bus. He's from England. He's on a completely different time zone than I'm on. Nashville is in central time. I don't know if he came in from eastern time or where you come from. Maybe he'd flown in from England the day before. Anyway, the time zones were mixed up. He thought he was only going to be with me about 15 minutes. I needed a couple of hours. He was mad the entire time. I said, we'll get what we get. Let's just go in the studio, roll the tape. You stick with this as long as you want to. Eventually, my time had run out. He stands up. This interview is over. Take me back to my hotel. So I did. I've had guests try to hijack interviews where they will come in and they want to talk about one thing that is completely different from what we agreed to talk about or what I thought we were talking about. I've had guests not show up. None of this phases me. And the reason is because I've dealt with it before and I know that it is not the end of the world. If you took me back to young David, 18 years old, live on the radio for the very first time, David, that would freak me out. If you took me back to those first episodes of Music Business Radio where I didn't have my friends in there and it was that first interview with a guy that I didn't know and something like this happened, that would freak me out. It does not freak me out now though because I've been through it. Once you've had a guy walk out and you realize that you're not going to die, you're good. You're good. You can up the ante for next time. If the ante gets up to next time, maybe you'll freak out then, but a simple walkout, you are good. That is why I think it's good to jump in and do as many interviews as you can when you first start podcasting. I had a woman I work with. She's very solid. She's a great upcoming podcaster. And she said that a booking agent sent her 20 possible people to interview. She said, I don't know what to do. Which one should I pick? My advice to her was do them all because that is how you get good. Not all of them are going to be great. Not all the episodes are going to be great, even if the guest is great but you will get better. And if somebody wants to send you 20 people, take them. Sooner or later, there's certainly a point of diminishing return on this. But if you're just getting started, you're looking to build a certain skill set. say yeah and go for it. You don't have to use every interview that you do. So there's no pressure and you will get what you needed out of it. Think about that guy walking out. Let's say I didn't get the whole interview. Well, okay. I had the experience of him walking out. Think about some of those other stories I've been telling you of me being embedded in these houses, hearing these crazy stories where I just broke down. It was so intense, man. I got what I needed out of it. One of the big things that I think new podcasters need to get in order is that you are in charge. This is your show and you are responsible for getting a good interview, for getting a good episode. You've got to do this 
if you want that interview to be good. Otherwise, you are going to have somebody come in and hijack or talk about what he wants to or give you only the time that he has available. You know what you need. So put that stake in the ground and let people know and then do it. A guest doesn't have the experience needed to do your show. Only you can do your show. The new trainees come and sit with us and just observe for the day. One woman who sat with me and she's from here in Nashville. She knows the area really well. And I said, look, you're from the South. You have been raised a certain way. You're not going to want to interrupt these people. You're going to have to do it. And that's something that goes along with the job. You have to interrupt the people to get the info you need to do it as quickly as you can. It's really, really odd the first few times that you do it, but it's something you have to do. There are times where you have to raise your voice because they have all this nonsense or craziness going on behind them. Say you've got somebody shot and there is a crowd forming around this person that shot. Everybody is yelling. They're trying to figure out what happened, all this kind of stuff. They've got a lot of audio going on behind them and you really have to kick in there. And sometimes you do have to raise your voice a little bit. I won't say that you need to straight up yell at someone. uh, I've seen a few people do that. I don't think that helps at all. But to get a little bit of extra audio, sometimes you have to do that. I thought that was a great story about taking charge. That's what Brandon is doing every day. People do not call in to 911 every day. They might have done it a few times, but many times they're not going to be in that state of mind. You've got to have somebody say, hey, this is what I need. Stop talking for a second. Listen to me. And let's make sure that I get this information so I can help you. You have to be that controlling about it. Here's some more thoughts from Brandon about setting the stage for you to take control. I'll say something along the line just to kind of preface everything that I'll say, look, this is an emergency situation. We got to get the info as quick as we can. So let me just ask you a few questions. They're really simple, maybe a yes or no type answer. Just give me that and we'll get through this a lot quicker. It'll be a lot easier for us. Kind of do that up front if they start talking a lot of extra stuff that we don't need to know, like the whole shooting thing. And this is not necessarily a specific thing, but you'll get people that call in about just about anything. And I'll say, tell me exactly what happened. Well, three months ago, I met this guy. No, I don't need to know that. I need to know what's happening right now. And that's it. This is his version. You don't have to do things as quickly, but you do need answers for the questions that you ask. You also need to keep guests on topic because you're in charge of deciding what's relevant for your audience. Let's go back to being grounded. How do you do this? How do you interview with someone and not take on their energy and emotion to where you're crying like a little girl? (laughs) He's got some thoughts on this too. I've told a lot of the newer employees that when you first start doing it, you will hear calls that will stay with you. Here it is with me 21 years later. I've got calls that I remember like I took them yesterday from that first month I was on training. I can't tell you probably more than two or three calls I took yesterday. You do have some of those that you just kind of remember. Sometimes along the lines, if you take something that's kind of odd or over the top, horrific, sometimes you'll remember those. But for the most part, I walk out and when I walk out, my job's done. I'm good with it now. I don't hold on to it like a lot of people might. Now, at the same time, it does take a certain type of person to do this job. It's not for everybody. Obviously, there have been exceptions for me. I've been talking about it on this episode, just losing it, man. But in general, when it comes to keeping grounded, what I try to do is I try to stay present during interviews. When I've got somebody in my studio, when I'm even doing a remote interview with someone, I want to be emotionally present with them as they're telling their stories. We take it for granted because we're behind the mic a lot, but it takes a lot of guts to tell your story on tape and have it go out to the public. This is where I think as podcasters or journalists or broadcasters, however you want to define yourself, 
this is where I think we can get in trouble. And that is after the interview. Because you want to be present during the interview. You want to be with that person, listen to that person, honor that person, honor the story that's coming through. But what happens after the interview? You've got to let it go and trust that people will be okay. That's what Brandon is talking about. He's taking these stories. People are coming in. People are going. The next person comes in. The next person goes. You've got to trust those people will be able to handle their situations and you've done what you needed to do to allow them to handle those situations. Do I refer people to resources that I'm aware of? Yes, not just for problems, but also for general helpful things. Does that overstep the boundaries of journalism? Probably. I've had good conversations with some of my NPR friends that are doing more of this kind of work that I'm talking about, this super intense war zone type of stuff. And I had one tell me, she said, yeah, you know, sometimes I think I break the rules, but I'm human. You know, what can I do? What can I do? I think you can do the best that you can do because while they're human, as she said, you are also human. I'll give you an example of this. One time I was talking to a guy who had a meth problem. He had been kicked out of his house. He's also a veteran. And I made a call to veteran services to see about getting him help. I didn't know what kind of help he needed. I made a call because this guy was not in what I felt was the place to do that. Something I mentioned earlier is that interviewing so many people in the music industry and being involved in that industry for a long time, I've seen a lot of people come through with chemical and substance abuse problems. I was trying to get this guy information because I know that if somebody has a substance abuse problem, you are not going to be able to fix that. That person has to be ready for this. But still... You know, uh, do you want to get involved in that? I don't know. As far as I know, this guy's done nothing with that info. I've seen him around. He still seems to be using. But I did what I could. Again, I'm human. I'm human. We are bringing a human element to what we do. We're not robots. We're not sending these questions and letting somebody answer them on his own. We're asking questions, interacting with people, being empathetic, editing trying to get a story out to people that we feel is important. I asked Brandon about getting involved like this on 911 calls. We're not really supposed to do that. It's uh, There have been times where I've wanted to do that, but I know that my end of it is a very small piece of the very broad puzzle that's happening with whatever instance that's going on. I mean, if you have someone that has been shot or stabbed or in a domestic violence situation or just about anything, you can name any type of crime, you could try to follow up with them. But really, on my end... We don't really get to know everything that happens. That's one of the things you got to deal with being a 911 dispatcher, too, is that you don't always know the ending to it. You send up the call, police go out there, you might get a disposition of what happened, like they made an arrest or they made a report, something along that lines, but you won't actually know what happens. You have to take yourself out of it. I think a lot of podcasters think that if we feel a certain way, we'll be more helpful than if we're somewhat detached. Have you ever met somebody who cuts himself or maybe somebody who drinks too much? I had a friend who was into cutting and what I'd refer to as self-harm. I asked him about it and he said, I just want to feel something. And on that same side of the coin, I had a conversation with another friend and he would drink so much that he would black out. What he told me is that he drinks because when he's drunk, that's the only time he doesn't feel any pain. He's able to forget what he has been through. He didn't want certain feelings. So on one hand, you've got somebody who wants to feel something. On the other hand, you've got somebody who wants to feel nothing, which arguably 
is a feeling. It's two sides of the coin, two ends of the spectrum, but something very similar to each other. And neither one of those things, in my opinion, is helpful, at least not in the long term. I'm not one to judge somebody personally like this, but it does feel like on occasion, doing something like this might be good for you in the short term. The problem comes when we get into these habits and they keep us from doing the other things that we should be doing. I feel the same is true for getting too involved in a story. You may feel like you're helping people and maybe you are helping people at a time, but just because you feel for them, it doesn't mean that you're actually being helpful. Action does. But even then, when you do something like take action by calling for information like I did for this veteran, is that helpful? Is that you keeping them from the lessons that they need to learn? Can we prop somebody up like that? I don't know this. That's not to say there's not value for being empathetic to somebody's story. As I said, I think that's what can make you a great reporter. But you have to, for you, learn to turn it off and keep it in check because If you get shut down, then you're not going to be able to help anybody in even a limited type of way. Here's a great example from Brandon. I've rolled up on things before, like traffic accidents or something like that. And I found that I walk up to those differently than when I did when I was, say, a teenager. If I rolled up on a traffic accident when somebody was hurt and I was a teenager, you know, yeah, I'd call 911 and tell them what happened. Now I'm up and I'm actually trying to help the people until the help arrives, if I can. I remember there was a bad wreck that I rolled up on. All the traffic just stopped altogether. We sat there for a couple minutes, and I was like, I don't know what's going on. So I just kind of looked out the window, and I noticed that the traffic only was three or four cars in front of me that was stopped. So I decided to go on the shoulder, pull up, and see what was going on. And there were cars turned over on the roofs. I had a guy on a motorcycle that was out with a compound fracture on his leg and get out and start talking to the guy that's got his leg broken and he's okay past that it seems like and then people start crawling out of their cars bleeding all over the place and i just it was a lot different if i was one of the people in the cars behind me that's stopped for this accident you know i'd just be sitting there watching the whole thing but there i am in my uniform and people are coming up asking me for help and there's only so much i can do for them tell them to be still things like that and if there's any bleed and tell them how to try to control that if I can and just waited there until help got on the scene and then hopped back in my car and drove off. You could roll up on a car accident, feel something, say a prayer or whatever, and then probably not be as helpful as getting out of your car with calm nerves and letting people know what to do because you've got a certain knowledge or experience. That's the opportunity that we have as podcasters in the info that we release as podcasts. You may be interviewing people and get really connected to them and not be able to help them in the way that you want personally, whether it's information or getting somebody in rehab or whatever it is that you do. But maybe your story does a greater good for humanity in general, and you help multiple people with that story. You need to be able to make sure you can continue to get those stories out because you're reaching a ton of people with that message. You're not being nice, but you are being effective. Directing the the show, like keeping it in a certain way, keeping it to your format. That's kind of what I do. You have to get the information that you need, you and the responders are going to need. You don't need to know all this extra stuff. Keep it on your format and it goes a lot quicker, goes a lot smoother. And you're getting the actual information that you're wanting to get in the first place. Here's another situation you might have run into. 
What happens when you get a guest who hasn't done his research, he shows up late, he isn't giving you the delivery or info that was promised? That happens a lot. I ask Brandon about keeping cool in situations like these. If I have a level of frustration, I do everything I can to not let that come through on the phone. Wait till you get off the phone and maybe take a deep breath or two afterwards. But yeah, don't let it go through on the call. I mean, you're not in that, their situation. They're not used to being in this situation. I mean, if you're used to being in a, a shooting or staffing situation, there's probably some deeper problems. But yeah, with this, it's uh, I don't get frustrated like that while I'm actually on the phone with people. I'll try to remove myself afterwards and I'll take a deep breath or something like that or just kind of look at some of the other calls I got going on and then hop right back in it. Two things here. I think most people show up the best they can. And many of those who don't prep or otherwise don't show up the right way simply don't know what's expected. As an example, somebody gets on a remote session with you, doesn't have a microphone. Did you let them know? A lot of podcasters, they do something via Zoom. Of course, somebody's going to expect it's like a Zoom call with a granddad or somebody. Oh, hey, we never used a mic before. Not with granddad. Never used headphones. If you don't let people know, you can't expect them to know. Again, you do radio or podcasting all the time. They might not have ever done radio or podcast. So that's on you. I was just on a podcast, Novel Marketing. It's about book marketing. And one of the things that they did to prepare me as a guest where they sent me a course on being a great podcast guest. This is something that they've sell and they've already got it. Why not give it to the guest that you're interviewing? Did I need it? No. He actually apologized. He said, man, you didn't need that. And I said, no, man, no apology needed. I think that's a great idea. And we'll talk about it. So here I am. I do podcast interviews all the time though, but you can see for the people who don't do podcasts all the time, that'll be helpful for them. Let me give you something else to consider. Even a bad interview can be a great episode. I mentioned earlier about having a guest walk out on me. This thing started as a time zone mix up. There were a lot of things that went wrong, but bottom line, he was a total asshole from start to finish. I have never seen my producer so mad. I seriously thought the interview wouldn't even happen, but it did. And when the tape was rolling, this guy was amazing. It's actually one of our most popular episodes as far as feedback. Years later, sometimes it comes out in a rerun. I still get comments on it. And that's the point. The audience probably won't know what's going on behind the scenes, and it may be in service to them to go ahead, do an interview with a bad guest, and fix it in editing. Which guest should you interview? Consider this 911 situation. The biggest thing with me is when you have a what we would consider a very routine call, something that is flat out not an emergency, and you know, to the caller, it's the end of the world to them. Like, oh my God, I can't believe that someone is blocking my mailbox, or if they are driving 20 miles over the speed limit. I mean, those are things that need attention, absolutely. But you have to contrast them to the other things that are happening. Would you want someone calling 911 saying that there's a reckless driver swerving lane to lane, not hitting anyone, but you contrast that with, okay, my grandmother is at home and someone just broke in her house and stabbed her in the back. If there were one line available to call 911 on, Nashville is lucky enough that we have a lot of lines. If you're in a podunk town or something like that, they may only have one line. Are you comfortable with calling 911 because someone's speeding? You should really think about that because your grandmother may be on the other end with a knife in her back. You can't interview every guest. First of all, let's get clear on this. If you miss a guest because you're too busy, so be it. It's not like a 911 situation where you may be missing an emergency. But some podcasters, we feel this way. We have FOMO, fear of missing out. 
Oh man, I can't miss this guy. He wrote a book that sold a lot of copies. Can't miss this guy. He's got a popular podcast. Maybe he'll mention me on his podcast if I interview him. We think like that, right? That's not the case. You can't interview every guest. And I think this is another thing that comes with time, that you get to the point where you can kind of feel those guys out. Still, you're going to miss some, but don't get too caught up in it. Here's another funny parallel for you. Not really funny at the time, but you can hopefully look back on this and realize the humor in it. I had a guest who comes in, the tape was rolling. He goes into total DJ mode. Hey, everybody, glad to be here today. It wasn't like he was off the mic or when the red button wasn't on. But as soon as that went on, hey, everybody, and he's completely crazy. He starts beatboxing. It was wild. The only thing I can describe it as, it was like a dude from Def Comedy Jam coming on to a Christian comic night. Wrong audience. (laughs) What do you do then? You got to hold your ground. You can't match his energy. You have to bring that person down or maybe up to your energy like this. You can't really show too much emotion. Try not to. I mean, it's whether you're on the calling end of it, like someone's calling you or you're on the radio. If you start getting excited or yelling or frantic with someone who's on the phone with you, they're not going to come back down to earth. If you're going to talk to them like I'm talking to you right now, just very straight, normal, non-excitable voice that'll likely bring them back down. Not always, but a lot of times it does. It's worked for me anyway. You hold the line and let people play your game. Have you ever missed a guest during vetting? Would you check this out? I'm not trying to judge anybody on their calls, even though we do take some silly calls from people that don't really need to talk to us. I mean, someone who's going through the drive through line and they got nine chicken nuggets instead of 10. Uh, okay, I might cast a little bit of judgment on that. <laughs> That's... sometimes people slip by you miss them in vetting it's not worth putting up with them no matter how good the info is i want to wrap up with this if you listen to music city 911 you will hear that brandon does a great job of this there is a lot of existing content that you can use on your podcast it's already out there ready for you to use 911 calls are one of those things, but it's not just 911 calls. It could be anything from the federal government. That's all in the public domain, any kind of presidential speeches, for example, anything from Congress. There's a lot of content out there that you can use. Specifically about 911, I asked Brandon how to get those calls. Here's how to do it. It's different for each agency and it's more specific to jurisdiction and state. You might have a local jurisdiction type rule that you can only release these type of calls, or you might have a statewide law that says we can't release these type of calls. And I know even from some countries, there are some countries that won't release a 911 call at all. So there's no chance of hearing it. But um, like for, for here in Nashville, there's a cutoff time where they will purge them because we have so many, I think it's somewhere around three to five years or something like that, that we keep all the records for them. But then you have to look into things like if they are still an open case, if they need to withhold that stuff because the case is actually going to court or there's a lot of little avenues they have to go through. So it would have to be a police spokesperson or uh, someone would have to review the instance to see if it can be released, if it has like a public interest or whatever, you know. One more thing, as I mentioned, the podcast, Music City 911, it's a true crime podcast and lots of people love true crime. If you've got something similar, you don't mind putting yourself out there, being seen as a podcaster, being seen as somebody where people will walk up to you and ask you about this stuff. This is something that has worked for him. 
it may work for you. On the podcast end, you know, I've messed around with different things, trying to gain my listeners and things of that nature. You know, I've done well in some places. I've done not so well in others. I have picked up little patterns, I guess, ways of promoting my podcast, things like that that's worked out for me. And just think outside the box for that. Done a couple different things. I've actually got on the back of my car, on the back window, a Music City 911 true crime podcast vinyl signs that are adhesive that sticks on your rear window. I've got one of those. So people driving around or if I'm sitting in the parking lot at Walmart or whatever, people are walking by and seeing that. Think outside the box a little bit. I think it's a good way to start a conversation and keep this in mind. People are always looking for things to listen to in their car. So if you've got something that is in a parking lot where people are going to see from their car and somebody can go on their phone and instantly start listening to it in their car, you are hitting them in the right place. It's a captive audience. So I love that promotion. I'll give you one better. Set up a phone number where people can dial their phone and subscribe simply by making a call. I'll give you an example of how it works. Call this number, 615-488-4321. Get your phone out, 615-488-4321. You call that number, you will hear me. I will text you back instantly. And there is a link that will let you instantly subscribe to my podcast, regardless of the phone you have. I've got three or four ways to do it. It's super easy. People seeing you from a moving car, they could still dial that number relatively safely. Safer than typing in bigpodcast.com slash subscribe, which is the other way you can subscribe to this podcast. Safer than going to Apple Podcast or Google Podcast or Spotify and messing with a search engine that may or may not work. They just got to call 615-488-4321. Super easy to set up. If you want help doing something like that, you know how to reach me, bigpodcast.com. Thanks to Brandon from Music City 911 for adding commentary to this episode. I'm at bigpodcast.com. Again, you can subscribe at bigpodcast.com slash subscribe. If I can help you in any way to grow your podcast audience, make more money with your podcast, make more impact with your podcast, let me know, bigpodcast.com, and I will see you on the next episode.